Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Genesis as we continue our study through this uh, great book in the Bible. We're in chapter 45 this morning. Genesis chapter 45. I don't know if you are enjoying this study as much as I am, but I certainly do. Uh, I only wish that I had taken more time to deal with more of it than I actually have. I got to thinking this morning as I was uh, praying and preparing for the service that we've skipped so much in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the foundation of all of the Bible. We find truths and pictures and prophecies in the book of Genesis that bear out all throughout Scripture. And uh, we can see in the book of Genesis so many pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, prophecies about Him. And uh, I got to thinking it would probably take me about a year and a half or two years every Sunday going through to cover all the things that I would like to cover. But this morning, I want us to take a look at a picture of salvation. I started to uh, title the message, A Precious Picture. Instead, it's a, Anatomy of Salvation. It could have been uh, Seven Similarities of Salvation. If you look at the outline on the back of your uh, program or your bulletin this morning, uh, you'll see I have seven points to my message uh, today. And uh, if I'm looking at this right, it's uh, 25 minutes after uh, 11, so I better hurry up and get started, don't you think? Uh, uh, but before we get into chapter 45, let me just give you a brief summary of uh, Joseph's life. We've been dealing with Joseph now for several weeks, and you remember that he was uh, the favorite of their father, Jacob. He's one of 12 uh, sons, uh, 12 sons and one daughter. And uh, he was their favorite. And, of course, all of the other brothers were jealous of him and, and really came to a place where they hated him. And uh, they uh, beat him up and threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery and, and uh, dipped his coat of many colors into goat's blood and took it back to the father, uh, Jacob, and let him believe that Joseph was killed uh, by a wild animal and torn to pieces. He then was a slave in Potiphar's house in uh, Egypt. He was... Uh, Accused of rape by Potiphar's wife, he was thrown into the deepest part of the dungeon. It came to pass that the Pharaoh had a dream and he needed it interpreted and the baker and uh, the butler of the Pharaoh had been in prison and they knew Joseph and so they told Pharaoh about him. And uh, so they told, Pharaoh called on him and he interpreted the dream for Pharaoh and made him the prime minister of Egypt. He, the dream dealt with seven years 
of plenty and then seven years of drought. And uh, Joseph led the people of Egypt to store up goods in advance looking toward the seven years of uh, famine that was going to come. And so Egypt had all kinds of grain and food and stores. And while the rest of the world was in the midst of a famine, Egypt was in the midst of plenty. And people from all around came to Egypt to get food and to get goods. And uh, Jacob, back home in Israel, of course they were in Canaan at the time, uh, they were going through the famine and Jacob sent his sons all but Benjamin to uh, down to Egypt to get goods and of course they came before uh, Joseph not knowing that it was their the brother that they had uh, sold into slavery so many years before and at the time Joseph did not let them know uh, uh, he was their brother but they had left Benjamin at home because he was the youngest of the uh, 12 brothers and he stayed home with Jacob and Joseph asked if they had a younger brother and of course they said they did and he sent them back to uh, get uh, the younger brother and uh, so they went back and they got the younger brother and they came back and got food again and then he asked, well, what about the father and uh, they were going to go back to get the father and and as he gave them all kinds of grain and provisions to get back to Canaan to get uh, Jacob to bring him back uh, but there is uh, there was a little bit of uh, deceptiveness in uh, what he did he put he gave everybody grain they had all kinds of donkeys and camels and filled with goods, but he put, he had the servant put a silver cup in the uh, bag of the youngest brother, Benjamin, as they were going back, and then once they got out of Egypt, he sent his people to go catch them and to go through their stuff and say, why did you do such evil things? I did good things for you, and, uh, and uh, why did you steal this silver cup from uh, from my master and they went through and they finally got to the youngest Benjamin's uh, bag and there was the silver cup and, and they arrested him and they brought him all back to Egypt and, uh, and there was a reason that uh, Joseph did that. A lot of people say, why would he do that? There was a reason. You remember he was sold into slavery from the very beginning because he was the favored son, and all of the brothers were uh, jealous of him and hated him, and that's the reason they faked his death and sold him into slavery. And once he was gone, then Benjamin became the favored son. Now, the reason uh, Joseph and Benjamin were the favored sons, because if you go back, if you remember, see, the book of Genesis is just so filled with intrigue. It's a wonderful story. And if you haven't read through the book of Genesis, let me recommend to you to start at the beginning and read through the entire book because it is a tremendous story. The reason they sold him is because Benjamin and, 
and Joseph were the favored sons of Jacob because they were the only two sons of Rachel. You remember if you go back, uh, Jacob was in love with Rachel and he made a deal with Laban, Rachel's father, and uh, to marry Rachel. And he had to work seven years and at the end of the seven years, the Laban didn't let him marry Rachel. They made him, they made him uh, marry her sister, older sister Leah. And so he married Leah and he had to work for seven more years to be able to also marry her sister Rachel. And Rachel was the one that she, he really loved. And, and the only two children he had from Rachel was uh, uh, Joseph and Benjamin. And they were his favorite and so what happened, Joseph was testing the older brothers. They came back, they brought Benjamin back, and they said, oh, we've changed and we you know, want to do all of this stuff and we want to be good and we want to be faithful and uh, this kind of stuff. And, and so he tested them because now Benjamin was the favorite son and he wanted to see if, he would leave, if they would leave Benjamin in prison in Egypt and just go back to uh, Jacob and say, they wouldn't let, him, let us have him. They wouldn't let us have him and he's in prison and they won't, uh, they won't release him. They're probably going to kill him because then they would be rid of the second favorite son of Jacob. So they went through all of that to test him, but they said, no, no, no. And if you read through chapter 44, uh, Jude came forward and begged, he said, take my life, uh, take my life and keep me in uh, prison or whatever. But Benjamin is my father's youngest son and he, he would die without him. And so he tested them to find out if they still had that same kind of hatred toward their brother as they did with him. And of course they passed the test. And we come to this point here at the beginning of verse four, uh, chapter 45. They had just found out and they'd come back and Joseph uh, had just found out that they really had changed and they were good. And it says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone uh, go out from me. So no one stood with him. All of the court had to leave. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Finally... He was making himself known to the 11 brothers that he was Joseph. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Now I'm going to pause right there. We're going to cover this whole 45th chapter if we can, but let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for today, and we thank you for your goodness and your love toward us. And we pray, God, that you teach us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now. The most important day of my life was September 19th, 1971. That was the most important day in my life. Now, it wasn't the day I was born. It wasn't the day I graduated from high school. It wasn't the day I got married. It wasn't the day that I... Uh, graduated from college or seminary. It wasn't the day that my children were born. It was the day that I got down on my knees 
and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life as my Lord and Savior. That was the most important day, event in my life. September 19th, 1971. Now, the Bible is filled with important things, but the most important revelation in all of the Bible is found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The most important event in the Bible was the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it's through that that he makes all of the salvation uh, uh, possible. And uh, if salvation is that important, if it's the greatest uh, revelation, if it's the greatest event that provided for that salvation, you would think that God would give us some pictures and some prophecies to help us to understand what salvation is really all about. And he does. And I think the most precise is found right here in Genesis chapter 5. And that's why I call this the anatomy of salvation. Uh, Joseph is a picture and a prophecy of Jesus. And we're going to see seven things in this chapter that I believe tell the story of Jesus, uh, J Joseph and his brothers, and also is a picture and prophecy of what salvation is all about. For salvation to take place, you need to have a place of confrontation with the Lord. And what we find here in this passage that I just read, those two verses, we see a picture of a compassionate heart. The brothers who hated him, the brothers who rejected him, the brothers who mocked him and in a sense murdered him and sold him into slavery. They came into the court before Jesus and he could not restrain himself anymore. And he broke down and he wept. Now this is not the first time that uh, Joseph wept for his brothers. Back in chapter 42 and verse 7, it says that when the first time he met them, he, he disguised himself and he spoke roughly and he called them spies and put them in prison but kept Simeon and set them, sent them back. And if you go on down in 42 to verse 24, it says that Joseph wept over his brothers, but he didn't let them know. He didn't let them see it because he was testing them. Joseph was trying to bring them to a place of conviction. Now, it hurt him to do that. He, it, it hurt God. It hurts God when he causes pain to come into our life. But sometimes God has to cause pain into our lives. He causes difficulties. He allows difficulties to come into our lives because it's, 
because it's the only way he can get our attention. I'm not going to go through all of it, but he had to throw me in jail before he could ever get my attention. That wasn't a good thing. It wasn't a great thing. At least it didn't appear to be that to me, but God had to go through that. God had to allow that to grab hold of my attention. I don't know what God had to do to grab your attention. I don't know if God has grabbed your attention yet. I don't know what he will have to do to get your attention, but he will do what he has to do to get you to have a confrontation with him. And that's what Joseph did with his brothers. The only way to bring us to a place of uh, conviction is so is to bring us to a place of confrontation. And so first of all, we see that there was a, a place of confrontation and then that led to a place of conviction. If you look there in verse 3, it says, uh, Then Joseph said to his brother, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Dismayed in his presence. That word dismayed means troubled or terrified. Joseph, Joseph revealed himself. He says, I am Joseph. I am your brother. I'm the one that you did those bad things. And those boys knew that they were uh, had, uh, they had been found out that they were caught and they were in front of someone who had absolute power and absolute authority over them. As a matter of fact, he had the power of life and death over them and he was the one that they had rejected and mocked. No wonder they were dismayed. No wonder they were troubled. No wonder they were frightened. May I tell you something this morning? No one has ever been saved until they get to that place in their life when they know that they are guilty before God. Amen. No one comes to a place of salvation until they know they are guilty before God. Folks, listen to me. The Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of that sin is death. And so we are all guilty before God, and there cannot be salvation until we recognize that we are guilty before the Lord. Do you remember that story in the New Testament about the Pharisee and the publican? Do you remember the Pharisee and the publican? They went to church. Well, it wasn't church. I was going to say they went to church one day, but they went to the temple one day to pray and the Bible says that the Pharisee, and I think this is telling, and so many times uh, we pass over it without paying attention. The Bible says that the Pharisee prayed with himself. Not that, saying that he prayed to God, but they, he prayed 
with himself. Oh, he was so delighted. He said, Lord, I'm so grateful I'm not like other sinners. I pray and fast twice a week. I tithe. I'm not like this poor publican over here. He was so grateful about how good he had been. And then the publican smote his breast and he couldn't even look up. And he said, Father, forgive me for I am a sinner. Oh, the Bible teaches that that day two men came into church to pray. One left dignified and one left justified. You have to come to that place of recognition that yes, I'm a sinner before I can ever come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The next point, point number three, it was also a place of conversion. I want to read to you starting in verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he, was, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. And what, he's finding, what we find here is that this was God's plan all along that God had uh, everything under control. And I think it's interesting that he says to his brothers, I know who you are. Now you know who I am. I know you hated me. But listen, don't be afraid of that. Don't worry about that. Don't let that bother you right now. And so many times I've talked to people about Jesus and people have said to me, Oh, Pastor, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how guilty I am. You don't know the things that I've done in my past. And I share with them, it doesn't matter. It's not what you have done. It's what Jesus has done. He died on the cross to forgive you of your sin. And it doesn't matter what that sin is. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, He will save you. And He will offer you an eternity in a relationship with His heavenly Father. He gives an invitation and He explains, do not be grieved over your sin. He was, when he said don't grieve over your sin, he wasn't minimizing the effect of sin. What he was doing was maximizing the grace of God. Amen? He, he, listen, when I say don't worry about what you've done or it doesn't matter what you've done, I'm not minimizing the fact of that sin. What I'm doing is maximizing the grace of God. He loved us so much that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. And 
verses, verse 7, I think is pretty cool. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great uh, uh, deliverance. What does that say? You know who Jesus Jesus is a preserver. Jesus is a savior. And Jesus is a deliverer. Joseph is a picture and a prophecy of the coming Jesus. He preserved their life. He saved their life. And he delivered them from the tragedy of their life. He, he led them to a place where they were changing their lives. There was a conversion experience. And why was it possible? Because God made it so in verse 8. Uh, so now it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me. God's the one that makes the difference. You know, sometimes when you go into some churches of different denominations, a lot of times when people think of Jesus, uh, you see them in stained glass windows, you, you picture uh, Jesus as a baby laying there in the manger. Have you ever noticed that? People, when they think of Jesus, they think of him as a little baby lying in a manger. Or you can go someplace else and you see him hanging on the cross, the crucifix. They think, And when they think of Jesus, it's either Jesus as a little baby lying in a manger or uh, uh, there dead hanging on the cross. Folks, I'm here, to, here today to tell you that I don't worship a little baby lying in a manger and I don't worship a dead man hanging on a cross. I worship the risen Savior, creator of the world. And his name is Jesus. Amen? Oh, what a God it is that we worship and serve. The fourth thing you need to have is a place of commission. And we pick up in verse 9. He says, hurry and go to, up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt and come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me and your children, your children's children and your flock and your herds and all that you have there I will provide for you lest you, uh, lest, lest you and your household and all that you have come to, uh, come to poverty for there are still five years left of the famine and behold your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin so that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So they shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. He's sending them. He's a, it's a place of commission. Joseph gives them a commission to go tell his father, their father, about his glory. That he is Lord over all of Egypt. Folks, I've got to tell you something. When we come to a place of salvation, God commissions us to go to the world and tell them of his glory. That he is the Lord over all that is. I, it's interesting to me, if you go back, to, to, go back for just a second to verse 4, chapter 45, verse 4. It says, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come 
near to me. And then there in verse 9, it says, Hurry and go up to my father. Come and go. Those two words can describe the entire life of the born-again Christian. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor. Come unto me. And then in the Great Commission, he tells us to go and preach the gospel to all the world, to all the nations. That It's come and go. Folks, listen to me. God never intended for us to come to him and receive all of the blessings and the glory and the resources of heaven and then just keep them for keep it for ourselves. He tells us to come and you receive all of that and then go and share it with the world around us. First we come and then we go. Not only if we're believers, not only must we hear the come, we need to hear the go. The fifth place is the place of communion. We find that in verses 14 and 15. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. After that, his brothers uh, talked with him. Uh, I think two of the sweetest verses in all of the book of Genesis. They hugged one another. They kissed one another. And then they talked. You ever been away from your family for a long time? And then all of a sudden you get together and uh, you hug one another and kiss one another. And then you just, it doesn't say this in here, but I bet they sat and talked for hours. And not necessarily about the big things. They just talked about the little things. You know, just remembering things that took place when they were children. You ever done that? Got around family and you just sat and you talked and you talked and you talked and you talked. Just And it doesn't really matter. I, I always like, matter of fact, Deanne and I were laying in bed the other night and uh, she mentioned, she said, you know, this is the best time of the whole day for me. Because when we lay there, we just talk to one another. And it's, you know, it's not, it's just little stuff. It's, it, it's nothing that you would be interested in, but to her and me, it's important stuff. You know what I'm saying? Let me ask you something. You ever just sit down and talk with Jesus? Just sit down. Oh, no, I'm not talking about when you've got this great burden in your life and, oh, you fall down before the Lord and you pray. That's a good thing to do, folks. But I'm talking about, do you ever just sit down and talk with him about the little things in life? How your day's going? How, how how we did on that test in school. Just, oh, thank you, Lord, for getting me through that. Or just talk about little things. Just fellowship with the Lord. It's a time of communion. It's a time that we just 
enjoy one another's presence. Oh, if you haven't done that, you ought to try it. Oh, it's a blessing to just sit down and talk with the Lord. The sixth thing, it's a place of completion. We find that in verses 16 through 23. Now the report of now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your animals and depart and go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and their wives and bring your father and come. Do Also, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt. I'm going to come back to that. Remember that. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them uh, uh, provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with goods, uh, good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father uh, for the journey. He sent all those things. He said, you go tell your dad and bring him back, and I will take care of all of the things that are mine in the land of Egypt will become yours. And, And that's a picture of what heaven is going to be like. God tells us, to let other people know, bring them back with us and we will go into the land of Egypt, uh, heaven, and we will uh, have all of our needs met. But look there at verse 20. I think this is interesting. Also, do not be concerned about your goods. If any of you have the old King James Version, I read out of the new King James Version, But if you have the old King James Version, I think it says stuff, doesn't it? It says stuff. Don't worry about your stuff. I think that's pretty cool. He says, you got, here, I've, I, all the resources of the king of Egypt are yours. Don't worry about your stuff. You know, we have people today that are so concerned about what kind of car they drive or what kind of house they live in or what kind of clothes they wear or what kind of uh, bank account they have, or what kind of retirement plan. They're all concerned. I want to be, all all this stuff is so important. He says, don't worry about that stuff. Ooh, I almost did it. He said, he said, come back. All your needs are going to be met. Everything you need will be available to you. And not just just not just the common stuff, but the best that I have to offer. The best that I have to offer will be yours. God has so much more. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a good house, nice house. I'm not saying it's wrong to drive a nice car. I'm not saying any of those things. Don't go out of here and say, well, the preacher said, well, not want a nice car, because uh, that's not what I'm saying. 
I'm saying don't be worried about that stuff. Don't be worried about it. God's got so much more in store for us. Amen? All right. Getting close. The, the number seven, the place Place of continuation, verses 24 through 28. Let me find it. Lost my place here. 24. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. He is the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is still alive, and I will go and see him. Before I die. They said go back. And get your father. And so they did. They departed. And they. I can imagine them coming in. They busted in the house. Dad. Oh dad. Joseph is still alive. He's there. And they confessed all that he had done. They had done. And they said Joseph is alive. And Jacob said what are you doing? He didn't believe him. He said, stop that foolishness. And then they told him all the words that Jacob said, that Joseph had said. And he looked out and he saw the carts. And he believed. Now there's a spiritual lesson there, folks. And it's not just because... There were good things in the cart. But there is a spiritual lesson. And that lesson is this. When we go out into the world, so many times we go with just our words. And the words, just as it was with Jacob, the words by themselves is not enough. Not only must we have the words, but we need to bring the carts along with us. Folks, listen to me. You've heard me say many times, the people out there will never care how much we know until they know how much we care. If we just talk about Jesus, and there's no difference in our lives, there are no blessings in our lives, there are no riches in our lives, they're not going to hear. They're not going to listen. But when we go and tell them, and it's not just, Words coming out of our mouths, but they see 
the carts behind it. They see the riches. They see the glory. They see the happiness. They see the joy. That's going to make a difference in their lives. And when they see what God has done for you, oh, they're going to want it too. Now, hey, if your life is just like the guy down in, I don't know, I, I don't know if Belch has a skid row, but if there's no difference between our lives and the lives of those people down on skid row, if there's not a difference, if there if there's not if if they can't see the benefits of knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're not going to care. It's not going to make a difference in their life. But when they see the joy, when they see the riches, when they see the benefits of living for Christ, oh. That speaks louder than words. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for today. I thank you for these wonderful blessings. I, I thank you for all these folks here today. God, and I just ask your blessings on each and every one. Lord, open our heart. Father, I pray, dear God, that as I live my life, People can see the difference between a life with Christ and a life without Christ. God, help me not to forget to bring the carts along with me. To be a witness for your grace and your mercy and your love. You're a good God and a gracious God. We love you and we worship you. We serve you. In Jesus' name. Amen.